What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the NCP Conversation, where biblical sermons are presented through a TED Talk-like fashion. Today, we're doing episode number 16, the breakdown of episode number 15, The False Promise of Anger. Now, why do we do these breakdowns? Again, we do these breakdowns because this is a documenting journey of how I am going to continue to reflect, practice, record and push out biblical sermons, good biblical content, and help you, my listeners, help me reflect on what is working and what is not working on these sermons. I'm still trying to figure out how to present a good biblical sermon that would be worthy of a TED Talk-like title. And having a full-time job, having other opportunities that I am searching out. Um, Long weekend coming up, it is a little bit difficult to present the high-quality content, high-quality sermons that I would like to present. At the same time, I know that I'm just starting, and I would really like to um, document my journey because over time, I believe that practice makes perfect, but it has to be perfect practice. And... The way you learn how to become perfect is you analyze what you're doing. And once you begin to analyze, you see the weaknesses of some of your arguments. You begin to see some of the current trends that you're doing. You can say, okay, this is a bad habit that I've picked up. I don't know how, but I picked up this habit for some reason. And I'm using that to supplement my communication, my preaching, my... um, public speaking, and when you begin to do that, then you can reflect on that and say, be, and be, a, be consciously aware of the faults that you are producing as you are speaking. And so, through this venue, I can produce a podcast of a sermon, and then I can do a, a secondary episode where I can reflect on my thoughts that have been percolating on writing this sermon and say what worked and what didn't. Right? So let's first get into the verse and then I'm going to break it down why I engaged in the creative direction I went in and possibly how I could make that better. So the verse today was James chapter 1 verses 19 to 21 and it reads Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, that every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, going through this sermon, it was a little bit complicated at first when you read it, because you want to lump these three verses together in a cohesive way. And that's what I had begun to do with verses 19, 20, and 21. Um, And I thought verse 19 by itself is solid. And, and And I go into that in the sermon. I say, this is a beautiful verse all by itself. Understand this, 
Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And verse 20 flows right out of that, saying, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Going into verse 21, it starts off by using the word, therefore. And when we are reading the Bible, when you hear, therefore, you take the last thing that the author was trying to communicate and say, because of this, we must move forward in this direction. And, um, and it took me a while to see that. I had to listen to a couple of sermons. I had to read some more commentaries. And, and when I finally saw what other authors, what other speakers, what other creatives were doing with this passage, I saw that they were disconnecting verses 19 and 20 from 21. Because here we say, we see James saying, understand, right, know this. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Just taking verses 19 and 20, you know that this it sounds like this is about anger. And what you want to do is you want to pull anger into the next verse. And you say, so get rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And you connect the two, but... From what I have researched, from what I have read, we don't connect the two. We just see from James speaking on this false promise of anger, which is why we titled the sermon as such, The False Promise of Anger, because anger is something that we naturally run to as human beings. Right? Uh, one uh, psychologist I was listening once said that anger is a secondary emotion. You don't feel angry, you feel sad, you feel hurt, you feel fight or flight, you feel scared. And we use the emotion of anger uh, and the adrenaline running through us to, to get ready for a fight or to get ready to to run, to justify, to do whatever it is to make us feel better or to to justify the way we're feeling. And that struck me painfully hard because a lot of people would be interested to hear that I see myself as an angry person. Naturally, I think people would not ascribe that emotional state to myself but living from my shoes I know how much time I spend being frustrated upset tilted whatever word you want to use for anger I I know that I spend a lot of time being angry and when I heard that anger is not a primary emotion but a secondary emotion it really struck me as thinking, okay, so what am I actually feeling? And a lot of time I'm feeling um, hurt, either because somebody has um, bashed my pride or somebody has, uh, has emotionally damaged me 
oh, I believe that maybe it's maybe it's pride. I'm, I have pride in my work, and somebody comes and tells me it is not good enough or it is not uh, worthy enough. And I know that because of experiences in my life, having gone through bullying, having gone through being an outsider, having gone through a speech impediment and and being labeled as different, being overweight at times, I know that I have turned to anger to give me a sense of either control or a sense of peace where in my own anger I can be in control. I can be in the right in my own mind and I don't know if this is if I've learned this or if I have taken on that mantle to give me a little bit of sanity back whether that's right or wrong I'm not sure but I know that I spend a lot of my time being angry and so this verse that has made its way into the cultural context um, as I was saying in the sermon Jane, Chris Pratt has used this verse in, on Twitter let every person be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry and it resonates with me. Like the whole this verse nineteen by itself just resonates with people because we all know that sometimes we don't want to see the other angle. I take great pride in my marriage because that's one of the things that I feel I do well. At times, at times I do it very poorly, but most times I think I do it well because when me and my wife fight, uh, I I just find a lot of arguments come from a lack of understanding and this verse is is a great marital verse be slow, be quick to listen what is your partner what is your significant other what is the other party actually trying to say because a lot of the times when i hear my wife sometimes when i hear my wife speak my first reaction is she's saying i'm not good enough or you know, what are you actually going to do? Don't tell me what you think I want to hear, but what are you actually going to do? And I become defensive because, well, of course I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Of course I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. Of course, um, I'll be strong and, and stand up for myself. And I become defensive because she's close to me and and I we have that open connection. And I have to take a second and I have to say, what is she actually saying? Because what I hear her saying is that she doesn't, excuse me, she doesn't trust me, or she doesn't believe me, or some version of that, or, um, or she thinks that I'm doing it wrong, right? She thinks I'm a buffoon, um, and and I have to consistently remind myself that she is for me. She cares for me. She, I have to contribute a good will faith argument to her to say she is not asking to get dirt under me she is asking to help me and so when i begin to say that when i begin to see that when i can take a moment to adjust my position and say oh you're actually trying to help me i will naturally say to her well okay i hear you saying you don't trust me to do what is right but i don't believe you're saying that and I'll help, I'll, I'll make her, I will ask her to 
rephrase whatever she was saying in such a way that will help me see her true intentions. Because maybe, you know, maybe she is trying to tell me a hard truth that I fold <laughs> at critical moments. Um, or maybe she's saying, no, I'm, that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that um, in tough situations, what you don't notice about yourself is you clam up. Or in tough situations, um, you want to come to a good position where both parties win when I don't believe the other party is looking to um, collaborate with you. They're looking to confront you. They're not looking for collaboration. They're looking for argumentation. And that is helpful for me to know, okay, she is asking me, am I prepared to go to war if I need to go to war? Or she's asking me something else. And, and I don't remember this parable this phrasing as much as I said because I'm not quick to listen. I'm not slow to speak. I'm quick to speak. I am not slow to anger. I am quick to anger. So I hear something. I don't slow down and listen again. Which is what this verse 19 is saying. Be slow. Be slow to listen again. Right? Maybe you didn't hear right the first time. Be slow to listen again. Be slow to go on these long monologues because you have the right answer. Don't be quick to do these mon long monologues in a high volume tone, right? Don't, don't come in with a fierce anger. Come in being slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen to say, say that again. What did you actually say? And, and I found this verse is so beautiful just on its own because you you tell anyone this and if they just focused on this for a month i think their whole life would change you know some people who just fly off the handle if you just told them we ask everyone you speak to to repeat themselves before you ever say something again you know they may not say a word or they may feel like they're so quiet when they're just listening and, and, and listening well, maybe for the first time in their life. And, and what a change that can do in a person. It's, it's, an, it's unbelievable. Um, but verse 19 by itself is, is something that scholars, academics, people will do to, to fit the culture. Right? This is just practically really, really good advice by verse 19. James is not concerned about the culture, but concerned about people's very immortal souls. James is saying, you are a soul, and yes, you have life here. And verse 19 you know, is good advice for the here and now. You are going to live a life on earth and as you live it, be slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And if James had left it there, it would have been beautiful. But James says, no, we have to add on verse 20 and 21, which is verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think it is in a letter Peter wrote, where he says, without holiness, no one shall see the face of God. 
And this is a verse that somebody like John Piper will come back to again and again to say, you know, yes, you're saved. You're saved by faith alone. You are, you are beautifully and wonderfully saved, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And then he goes on to say, but the Bible says, now you must develop, cultivate, bring to life, bring to fruition some of the change that God wants to do in you now. And, and you have to show God you're going to be willing to obey him. And, and I'm not sure how that translates to the final judgment day. This is me talking. I'm not sure how developing the holiness, the, the righteousness of God after you've been saved translates into the judgment day when, when everyone gets to this, when everyone is shifted into heaven or hell. But John Piper, I believe, makes a makes a good case to say, don't ignore this part of the Bible. And and what James is doing here is he is teaching people who have already decided to follow Christ to say, yes, you, great, you're saved. You have followed Christ. You, you have been given eternal life. But now you need to develop the righteousness of God. And he's saying, listen, don't speak. Don't be angry because anger doesn't produce that righteousness that you need to be developing in your life today. And, and maybe... This would have been news to some of his readers because they were, they were followers of Jesus. They were on the side of life. They were on the side of God. They, they couldn't be wrong because they believed in the most powerful, most high God. So let's just tell everyone we're right and we can be right and we can be victors and we can be we can be life bringers and people should listen to us. Why don't they listen to us? And and you see how this train of thought goes down towards we are in the right, you are in the wrong. Listen to us because we are right. And when that doesn't happen, or when you have become uh, a, a plight to society as Christianity was in its early days, it was known as this cannibalism um, religion, this cult, um, before it became uh, widely accepted. And, and Christians were looked at as these weird people. And, and they're saying, no, 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 we have the truth. We follow Jesus. We follow the God of the Bible. We follow Yahweh. We follow the one who saves us. You should listen to us. And people are just trampling over them. And they begin to get angry. And James says, no, stop that. Listen, don't speak, don't become angry. For the anger of God does not produce, the, no, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you, we begin to see that there's something more important than being right, than being angry. And he says, what does, and this is where we, Finally, bring in verse 21, James says, What does produce the righteousness of God? He says, This is not anger. That's the false promise that anger is going to produce this wonderful change that you're hoping for. He says, No, it's not anger. It's getting rid of filthiness, 
your, you know, your habits that you used to lead in your past, and, and the wickedness, the things that, you know, were 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 evil spirited, were mean, were were not loving towards God or your neighbor. You know, getting rid of the wickedness in your life, and accepting the gospel, which is that God came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus, lived the perfect life, and in so gave that perfection through a spiritual means to me and you, and he took our spiritual brokenness, and he nailed that to the cross, this Roman um, torture device that was used to kill people. And in doing so, we were set free from death and, and the curse of the grave, and we were given life, and Jesus gave away his life so that he could take our death. And we believe that if you give your life to Jesus, you will be set free because you will be accepting the righteousness of God, the thing that Jesus gives to you. Right? Again, it's not of your own works that you have been given the righteousness of God, but being angry is not going to help that either. In fact, being angry is unlikely to endanger your soul because you're not following Jesus, right? To follow Jesus means to turn away from the things that, that were in your life, that were, that were dirty, that were defiling you, that were making you not clean and, and making you essentially turn your back away from God. And so there's things in our lives that we engage with that make us make us unholy, that make us turn our backs towards God. And the Christian life, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, the Christian life is not saying we have it all together. This is the best thing about the Christian life. The Christian life is to say that we don't have it all together. We are just trying to accept the love that Jesus has given us, accept the gift of um, perfect of perfection, and, hmm, give, accept the righteousness that Jesus gave us, so that we, who have been made clean because of what Jesus did for us, can turn towards God and see God. This was such a foundational um, um, transformation of how people saw and, and recognized God, right? God was this unknowable, uh, incomprehensible um, ruler who you could not look at him because he was holy and you would not. If you did, if you saw his face, you would essentially die. Jesus comes here to earth to say, no, there is a way you can turn back to face God. And it is through accepting my sacrifice on the cross, giving up your life to me, and taking on my uh, perfect life for yourself. And so in doing so, God's wrath is not facing towards you, it is now facing towards me. It is an arrow that has been pulled away from you 
towards me. And so now we can look at the face of God because he does not see our past mistakes. He does not look at us and say, you are broken, even though we still are. He, he looks at us and he sees Jesus. And it's this beautiful, transformational thing that we can now look on God and we can't die. And this is a Christian life that we continue to look back towards God because life is pulled to these destructive things. I, I talked about in the sermon how um, there is just a certain way the world works. You look at a building and over time that building is going to disintegrate because order falls to chaos. Peace falls to strife. Um, righteousness turns to unrighteousness. And and so we are amazed when we see a building pop out up out of nowhere because there need to be some systematic structure. You look at the pyramids of Egypt um, and, and they're worn down now, but they had to be built. Somebody had to build those, build those. You didn't, you know, go away for 500 years and come back and say, oh yeah, look, you know, an, an Egyptian structure, you know, and, you know, multiple of them. <laughs> there was something that had to put that order into place because if naturally left to its own self a desert will continue to be a desert so and, uh, humans just as order falls to chaos peace falls to strife humans fall into anger we fall into our old habits and and man will continue to look away from God because that's not his primary state born into the world. And even though we have been given this beautiful gift from Jesus, right, it's called the implanted world, which is able to save your soul. That is the gospel, that is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. If we believe that, we accept what God, Jesus has done for us, and by what he has done for us, we are now saved. So we accept that we're saved. But even though we're saved, guess what? We have flawed, sinful creatures that continue to look at God and then a shiny object catches the edge of our eye and we say, ooh, pretty penny, and we turn away from God. It's this crazy thing. Even though some of us are convinced that God is this beautiful, loving, holistic king ruler, creator, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present being, we look at other things, and, and some of those things are wicked things. Some of those things are, you know, pornography, um, violent language, obscene language, um, inappropriate jokes, and 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 immature things and we continue to look away from God to these other things and we will forget about God and and I don't know why we do that we just seem to do that and then we have to remind ourselves as Christians oh shoot like I have lost perspective I have lost focus this is not the best thing in the world you know God is and we so we turn back we turn continually towards who Jesus is, right? 
if you, I think that um, somebody was making the case towards how great heaven is going to be. And they said, if you ask a four-year-old, would he like um, chocolate or sex? The four-year-old is going to say, give me the chocolate, because he has no concept of the idea of sex. He will go for what he knows. And the same thing goes to an adult when you say, would you rather have heaven? Would you rather have the, the continual presence of God himself who fixes all things and makes all things right and, and have utter fulfillment? Or would you like to have sex? The joke goes that man will choose sex because just as a four-year-old cannot comprehend sex and goes for the chocolate, a man cannot comprehend the goodness of God compared to the goodness that he knows. And so there's a little bit of um, perspective, I, I believe, when we say that we take our eyes off of God because it is just uncomprehendable how good that really is. And, and maybe it's like having kids. I don't have kids, which is like a perfect example here. <laughs> a lot of my friends have kids now, and they say, having kids changes your life. And I have no doubt it does. I have no doubt it does. I just can't comprehend it. And so if someone says, would you rather be a dad, or would you rather, you know, live your life as, like you and your wife, traveling the world, having having the, the most fun you've ever had, and... And, and, and having as much money as you could ever possibly hope for. And it's really easy to say, yeah, I know how good that sounds. To travel the world with my wife, to enjoy our time. And, you know, to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning to change a dirty diaper doesn't sound like fun at all. But you parents out there would say, no, Will, you have no idea. And you're right. We have no idea. And it's the same thing in this passage here. We have no idea. We have no idea how good the implanted word is that could save our soul and because we will continue to turn back to the filth and wickedness and the anger that promises us that is going to fulfill our every need and fix every broken thing but the truth is it doesn't I think I rambled here and, and, and that last section there man I wish I had spent more time on that this idea that we just can't comprehend how good the implanted word is and we need to continue to come back to that. We need to continue to listen to God and we have to continue to bring ourselves before God and say, tell me what you want me to know. And that's my sincere prayer for, for myself today. That's my sincere prayer for you today. What do you want me to know? And then we just have to be quiet. For God says, be still and know that I am God. I believe that if we did that, our lives would be so much better. Just like if we would do that with every relationship in our life. And we just were still and knew who God was. That we could trust Him. That He will love us and care for us, even, even though we feel that 
some of our immediate needs are not met, that He will take care of us. Friends, God is so good. And I don't know if I spent enough time on the goodness of how, of, of, of why. I don't know if I painted the picture of how good God is. I just told you that anger cannot fulfill. I have to be more careful on that. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my dialogue with myself on on where I could have possibly gone with this sermon. I'm not a TED Talk level speaker yet, but one day I hope to be. One day I hope to be better. And as I continue to revisit old sermons, as I continue to prep, research, and, and write and record new sermons, that those will continually get better and better because I want to be a great preacher of the word. And it's going to take a while. But I appreciate you being on this journey with me. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your ear. I appreciate the time that you've given. Thank you so much. And um, this is the last podcast before the long weekend. Um, Hopefully, I will have one for you on Monday. We shall see how that goes. It might be out on Tuesday. This has been the NCP Conversation. I have been your host, William Kahn. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and to keep up week after week. You guys are the best. May you be blessed today and forever. Signing off. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Enjoy your long weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.